Hello, friends, and thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, Pastor Jen Zerby continued in our series of Advent called Noel. And this week, we discuss the lasting peace of God. How is peace even possible in this broken world with so much destruction going on around us? What does God's version of peace look like when we study the descriptions in Scripture? Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace. Well, it is the second week of Advent, and as we saw earlier, the second candle that we light represents peace. Is peace on earth possible? How many of you say, yes, peace on earth is possible? Raise your hand. How many of you say, nope, peace on earth is not possible? Raise your hand. Okay. If we asked everybody on earth that question, I just would be so curious to know what the link was between all those who said no and all those who said yes. Is it it an optimistic nature versus a realistic one? Is it about anxious people versus non-anxious people? Does faith have anything to do with it? Would those who subscribe to faith of some kind be more prone to believe that peace is possible? Or those who do yoga or pray or meditate regularly versus those who don't? What is it? What would the link be between the two? Peace seems so elusive in this world. It's something that everybody wants, but it always seems just out of reach. In all of the studies that I looked up this past week, peace is almost always in the top three things that people want most in this world. Money, happiness, peace are typically the top three. We know that we are lacking peace. We know that we want peace, but how how do we find it? Is it possible to find peace? I mean, look around. Have you opened a newspaper lately? or turned on the news, or hopped on social media. Actually, most of us don't even need to do that. Depending on what kind of phones you have or what kind of news sources you used, sometimes the alerts, just they just pop on our phone without us even asking, right? Another shooting, a fire, a volcano, an earthquake, the war in Ukraine, will it become World War III? Our hospitals are full. We're all playing this super fun game right now called Is It a Cold, the Flu, RSV, or COVID? It's a really enjoyable game. Prices for everything are still sky high, while access to everything seems remarkably low. No one seems to want to work anymore. And so stores and restaurants are closing left and right, or their hours are adjusted during the busiest time of the year. Gas prices are absurd. Inflation is outrageous. We're all wondering if recession is coming. Are we in a recession? Is it around the corner? We're not going to get started on politics, right? Many of us are still, we still have broken relationships from the last election. The thought of going through this again is not real appealing. And those are just kind of some of the things that are out there, right, that steal our peace. Those are the external things, the the big kind of out of control humanity-wide problems, right? We haven't touched the the in here stuff that steals our peace, The, the strained relationships and the wayward family member and the diagnoses and the mental health struggles and the battles with addiction and the challenges of parenting and the money struggles and 
the depression and anxiety and the grief and the pain and the past that sometimes haunts us and the future that sometimes terrifies us and the present that always seems to stress us, is peace even possible? We are certainly not the first to ask that question. We are not the first to look around at the world around us and see chaos and destruction and disunity all around us and to wonder if we will ever know real peace. This is also the story of the entire Old Testament. God created a people for himself and they experienced division, destruction, dispersion, not just once, but over and over and over again. Their inability to stay unified caused civil war amongst them. They put their trust in leaders and kings who turned out to be corrupt. Their temple was destroyed more than once in the crossfires of division and war. They were a people desperate for peace. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? In the text that we're going to look at this morning, we look to the prophet Isaiah, who had a particular vision of peace for God's people. And so at this particular point in in the history of God's people that we're going to look at, they had already been divided into two kingdoms. They were now known as Israel and Judah. King Ahaz was the king of Judah, and King Ahaz came from the line of David. We talked a little bit about that last week. King Ahaz failed to trust in the Lord, and his lack of trust brought this incredible disaster upon the nation of Judah. This was not new for them. There had been many leaders and many kings from the house of David who had failed to trust in God, and most have led their people further and further away from God, and further and further away from being the nation that God called them to be. And so Isaiah, who is a prophet during this particular time, has this vision of a different kind of leader, a different kind of king. And we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. There's Bibles in front of you. If you have the app on your phone, you can follow along. We'll also have it up on the screen, or you're welcome just to listen. Isaiah chapter 11, starting at verse 1. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his own eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its head into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. 
And so Isaiah's vision begins with Israel, with Isaiah describing this king who is to come, this leader who is going to bring about peace to the entire world. He tells them that a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. Now, if you were here last week or you listened to last week's message, that phrase probably sounds familiar because it was in last week's passage as well. If you weren't here last week and you've never heard that before, that's a super weird thing to say. But we know that this is a symbolic statement, but why is this particular symbol used? If you have ever read the chapters of Isaiah that lead up to this one, you'll know that there are a lot of images of forestry that are used in this book. In in chapter 6, Isaiah compares Israel's pride to a forest that has been cut down and burned. In its place, then, grew the mighty forest of Assyria. But now Assyria has also been destroyed. And so there's this image of that forest also having been cut down. And so now we're left with this image of just a huge, massive piece of land filled with burnt-out stumps. Right? Sadly, we, we have a pretty good picture of this when we see the wildfires that hit the West Coast every year. Every year as the fires are put out, right, we see those news helicopters that pan across the land and all you see is kind of smoke and burnt down tree stumps, right? That's the image here. That's the Old Testament prophets always use really vivid imagery and that is exactly the vision that Isaiah is using that he sets before his people here, this this massive field of burnt out trees where nothing is left but stumps. And it's with that image in mind that Isaiah says, a shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse. And so there's, there's great hope in this particular image because everything else is dead. Everything is brown. It is burnt out. There are no signs of life anywhere. And from this dead brown forest springs a new green shoot filled with life and filled with hope. Isaiah said that even though the forest, which represents Davidic pride, has been cut down and burned out, there is still life left in the original root, and it is a life that comes from the faithfulness of God. Isaiah is telling these people that there is something different happening. There's something different coming. This isn't just another king from the line of David who's going to falter and fail to be faithful. This is something entirely different than what they had ever experienced before. The one who is going to come will be the Spirit of God himself. This is unbelievable news for these people. A new kind of king is coming, and clearly they are in desperate need of a new kind of king. Author John Oswalt writes, The Messiah will not rule in the power and motivation of the fallen human spirit, but by the life and breath of God himself. I love that. The Messiah will not rule in the power and the motivation of a fallen human spirit, but by the life and breath of God himself. As a result, his reign will be characterized by wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, fear of the Lord, all of these characteristics that seem to be lacking among God's people, but all of these characteristics that are always there when God is truly present. We know that when we look at the history of the kings and the leaders who ruled Judah and Israel that they missed the mark. They couldn't keep their focus on God. 
where their primary motivation should have been to keep their eyes on God, obeying God, doing what God asked of them, honoring God, they just couldn't, they couldn't follow through. They were more interested in themselves. They were more interested in their own rise of power. They were more interested in their own ego than in the desire of God. But this new king, this new king, the one who is to come, he's going to be different. Oswald writes, how different he will become becomes clear in chapter 11 of Isaiah. He will not judge on the basis of appearance or image. He will not decide on the basis of what the outcome of the case might mean to him. He will not be biased in favor of the rich and the powerful. Instead, he will concern himself with what is right according to the unchanging standards of the one who is right. The justice that he dispenses will connect with the regulations for life designed by the creator. As a result, the poor and the needy will no longer be at a disadvantage to the rich, nor will the powerful escape if they are among the wicked, he writes. His words will be more powerful than the mightiest rod some other king might brandish to try to enforce his will. How will this be possible? Because righteousness and faithfulness will be at the very heart of this person's existence. The English translation tends to kind of obscure this imagery a little bit, but the idea here is that these characteristics are at the very core of Jesus' being. That when you strip, he's the king who is to come. Well, I just, a little newsflash there in case you didn't put that together. So when you strip away everything else, what do you find? a continuing concern to be right with all that is right and to be true with all that is true in God's world. And what will the result of this kind of relationship be? Peace. Not just that hostilities will cease, but the kind of peace that comes when that which has been divided is now unified. It's such a cool image. It's such a cool image. Look at what it says here, starting in verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. Can you imagine that? They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. A new kingdom is coming. From the brokenness of this world, a new kingdom will come. Like a green shoot out of the stump of a burnt out tree, a new king will come. And this king will be filled with mercy and will offer comfort to those in despair. He will bring justice to the world. Evil will be destroyed. Righteousness and faithfulness will come from the very core of his being. Not a choice to be made, but a truth to live into. Peace is on its way. The food chain will be broken. The concept of survival of the fittest will disappear. The strong will no longer prey on the weak. All of God's creation will live together in harmony forever. Sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? And it will be. It will be pretty nice. The image of peace will come to fruition when Christ returns again. It will be amazing. Like nothing we have ever experienced, like nothing we could ever imagine. The peace that we will one day experience, I'm certain, is going to be incredible. 
And it's cool to imagine that we will someday live into that. But if you're anything like me, you're thinking, well, that's nice. But we don't live someday. We live this day. So what does any of this mean for this day? What does any of this mean for our broken world now? Is peace possible now? When we look around us, it doesn't seem as if peace could be possible. And for many of us, when we look within us, it doesn't seem that peace could be possible there either. We understand that a day is going to come when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and when pain and suffering will be no more, when justice will reign and when love will have the final say. And that thought brings peace, at least when we think about the future. But what about today? And what about tomorrow? But this is where it's really important for us to remember that when Isaiah shared this vision, this vision was not about the end times. It was not about the second coming of Christ. It was about a day when God would come to this earth in the only form that would make sense to us as one of us, because God loves us that much. It was about the coming of Jesus to earth, not at the end times, but as a baby born in a manger 2,000 plus years ago. Jesus coming here changed everything. Our world may continue to be fueled by war and violence, but we don't have to be because Jesus taught us a different way. We aren't called to look upon this world casually, making note of all of the things that are messed up and then not doing anything about it because we know that God is going to fix it someday because Jesus showed us a different way. We don't have to be okay with what's going on around us. In fact, we shouldn't be okay with what's going on in our world. The only way that we can have peace here and now is staying connected to the only one whose very soul and character is peace. And we learn that through Jesus. What we learn through Jesus is that peace cannot be accomplished by domination, by abusing power, by the need to conquer. Peace cannot be found in needing to be first or best. It cannot be found in needing to be right or in needing to win. Peace cannot be found in all of the noise and chaos. It cannot be found in all of our consumerism and our need to have more stuff. True, real, deep, abiding peace can only come from the source of peace and that is Jesus. Brennan Manning said, in essence, there is only one thing that God asks of us, that we be men and women of prayer, people who live close to God, people for whom God is everything and for whom God is enough. That is the root of peace. There's nothing else that will bring us peace. Despite our attempts to fill these holes and voids with all kinds of other things in this life, I genuinely believe that there is no possibility of true peace apart from God. The lion will not lay down with the lamb apart from God. We cannot find peace with our neighbor apart from God. There will not be peace in this world apart from God. We cannot find peace within ourselves apart from God. There's a well-known verse in scripture that comes from the book of Philippians, and it says, do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, tell your request to God, and the peace 
that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus, or the peace that passes all understanding. Have you ever come across somebody in your life that has this this kind of crazy, deep peace despite the tragic or terrible thing that they've gone through? This is the peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that makes no earthly human sense. And just like the hope that we talked about last week, it's a peace that does not change with one's circumstances. The peace that makes no sense is a peace when things are going well and when things aren't. It's a peace when your loved one is here on earth and a peace when the seat at the table is empty. It's a peace when your family is whole and it's a peace when your family is fractured. This peace that makes no sense is not something that we can conjure up if we just wish for it. It's not something that enough candles or yoga or naps will provide, although those are all very good things. You should not stop doing those things. This peace that makes no sense makes no sense because we are not the source of it. The root that came from the stump of Jesse is the source. The life that came through death. The life that continues to make beauty from ashes. The peace that makes no sense makes no sense because we are not the source of it. Jesus is. Well, I believe that there are many wonderful, beautiful things about this life. We also know that we are not short on people or things that try to rob us of our peace. But we do not have to live as victims in this world. Peace is a gift given to us, and we choose what we want to do with it. It cannot be taken from you without your permission. But it's more tempting than when you realize. Because every time we allow ourselves to give in to anger and bitterness or spite, we let someone else take our peace. We have to trust that the peace of God is always there waiting for us to claim it despite our circumstances. If someone else took your peace, it's because you gave it to them. So take it back. It's always right there for the taking because it's a gift from God. Friends, this isn't just some churchy stuff I'm spitting out because I'm a pastor and that's what I'm supposed to do. I live in the same world as you. I'm not immune or exempt from the things that we struggle with on a daily basis. I have given my peace away too many times to count, and I have tried to find my peace in too many other things. But once you have experienced the peace that only Jesus can provide, you will no longer settle for anything less than that. Not long before Jesus died, he said, Peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. God knows that this life is hard. He knows that this life is hard and he gives lavishly all the things that we need, not to survive, but to thrive, regardless of our circumstances, which means that no matter what happens in this life, peace is possible. Even if it's not possible around you, it is always possible within you. The peace that makes no sense makes no sense because we are not the source of it. If you want to know that kind of peace, it's yours for the taking. You just have to go to the source. Let's do that now. Let's pray together.
God, this thing that seems so elusive in this life really isn't. We just give it away so freely. You continue to offer this peace that passes all understanding. You continue to offer not just a peace, not just some peace, but your peace. That's what you continue to give us over and over and over. It is always there for the taking. And we keep giving it away and then wondering where it is. And so God, would you help us to know that your peace is not about the circumstances around us. If we're waiting for all things to be united in order to experience peace, we're not going to experience that in this lifetime. But you promised us a peace within that's deeper than anything we would ever be able to experience externally. And so God, help us to stop going to external things. Help us stop looking for peace in places we will never find it. Help us to stop giving away our peace, Lord. Help us to live close to you, the source of our peace. That no matter what's going on around us, we would be at peace close to you. We give you thanks, Lord, for the way that you lavishly gift us. Help us to know and experience that in a profound way today and throughout this season. In your holy name we pray. Amen.